Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Truth Talk, the place where conversation becomes communication. I'm your host, Brandon Joel, and thank you for tuning in to this week's communication intervention. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of True Talk. Y'all, I am so excited for our guest this week. This person is very near and dear to my heart, but for now, she is the development associate at Chicago Votes doing the Lord's work. Um, her name is Kia Sanders. Hello, Kia. Hi. How you doing today, girl? Good. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So let me tell you about Kia real quick. One of my favorite things about her is she is the nicest, sweetest person that you will ever meet. But when you're ready to get down and have fun or get something done, she is the person to call. Like if you want to go to karaoke, she's going to be the person that goes the hardest. If you want to go campaigning, she's going to knock on every door. (laughs) If you need help moving, she's going to be there with a smile or a hug. You know, like she is right there with you. And that is one of my favorite things about her. So I'm so happy to have you with us. Um, Flattered. What an intro. Oh, you deserve it. And because she is so much in the thick of it with us, I thought having your perspective would be really good this week because it's all about, you know, what happens when we first encounter something, you know, you are often the person that um, people, when it comes to advocacy are confronting you and you are trying to advocate and educate and get people informed about things. And advocacy is a thing that you use as a tool to get work done, you know, and I will let you Um, Tell us about some of the work that you do, and then we'll kind of get into, you know, how that involves advocacy and stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, advocacy is definitely everything to me. I think advocacy and community are like my whole world and pretty much uh, go hand in hand. I studied community psychology when I went to school in African and Black diaspora studies, and now I work uh, full-time for my organization, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, voting rights advocacy org. And I organize in my free time with a coalition called Coalition to Decarcerate Illinois. Um, and in both spaces, uh, advocacy is, is everything. We are groups of people that are advocating on behalf of populations in, mm. in our city, in Chicago. Um, yes. I love it though. I, I really enjoy my job. <laughs> Yeah. Um, And what I think is so cool about what you do is, you know, you are fighting something that people really probably wouldn't recognize as actually a struggle, which is confronting a narrative, you know? So can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the narratives that you fight in your work? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like narrative, the way that narrative work shows up for me is in like narrative change work. Literally, like for us, for where, and I, and this is language too, that like I wasn't using until I got into this job because um, I always knew the significance of like public education campaigns, which is whenever you're trying to uplift a message particularly, you know, or, you know, your whole objective of a, a camp, like a campaign is just informing people, educating yeah. people. 
Um, but the, it's different when you have to do it in your work in a targeted work where you have a whole other objective goal. Like we have a bill that we've been pushing in legislative session for the past year um, that would restore voting rights to people currently incarcerated in our state. Um, so essentially voting in prison and um, you- Okay, okay. Yeah, very excited. Um, stay tuned. Hopefully we'll get it passed this year. Um, yes, come on. Yes. Um, and it would be the first state to do it. Um, there are other states that are trying to push similar yes. legislation for a couple of years, but it hasn't been successful yet. But we successfully passed voting in jail a couple of years back, which is voting rights to people who are in holding. Um, How are you able to do that, though? Like, what was the trick? Yeah, well, <laughs> like there are so many aspects to it. And again, like obviously I do this as part of a team and we work in coalition. So it was so many activists, so many advocates. And something that I learned in that work is the significance of information campaigns and narrative change work. Um, you come across so many people who just live with this um, kind of accepted narrative of, well, prisons are full with bad people, so why should I do anything to help them? And, you know, that is, the thing about that narrative too, especially, is it is very uh, widely like normalized, right? So the starting place is, um, even though you and maybe everyone you know might think this way, and it's not me saying all those people and you are bad people, but this line of thinking is simplistic. So when we think about how essential storytelling is to our everyday lives from sharing knowledge and communicating um, and interacting with the world, we really need to start thinking about what happens when we do communicate or engage. Storytelling has shown up in my work in a lot of different interesting ways, especially like specifically in relation to narrative, because it makes me think about narrative changing right like narrative change work like when you come across a narrative that is blatantly problematic rooted in anti-blackness rooted in hate in some way um that especially ones that are more widely accepted right um because they may not come across as objectively exclusive to any one group or offensive to any one group um, sometimes we don't always identify anti-blackness sometimes we don't always identify homophobia in certain thought processes because it's not you know blatant what you said makes me think about the fact that we often don't author our own thoughts or reactions to things it's actually a conditioning mm. to something we've been exposed to you know what I'm saying? Like that could be your family. That could be your neighborhood. That could be your friends. Like you picked up something from them that causes you to have these specific reactions. And I think a really good example is this. I'm six feet tall. I'm over 200 pounds. You know, we, we fit, we in shape. Like I realize, like I am a large man, not only a large man, I'm a large black man, but imagine me out on the street. I go walking all the time, all the time. Um, and so sometimes when I'm out walking late, I'll see a woman walking on the sidewalk. And so for me, out of respect, my best friend's a female. I have so many close friends that are female, like huge feminists. So I'm like, oh, because of who I know I am, I'm a six foot tall black person. And I'm also aware of 
what women in my life have to go through, I recognize that, hey, I might be intimidating to her. I might be making her uncomfortable. So because I'm aware of that, I'm willing to just shift it a little bit. And so I'll often just like walk on the other side of the sidewalk, not because of anything else other than like, hey, like I am trying to be aware of the fact that I I respect your safety, you know, let me let you do what you're going to do. And the biggest thing for me with that is, if a woman were to kind of be scared seeing me like, you know, starting to get darker outside and she looked a little scared or something, I'm going to be okay. Like, because I understand I get it. I could be like, Oh, what the fuck? Like, why are you coming at me this way? Why are you being scared? I'm just walking on the street. Or I could try to see like, how can I be the character in her narrative or story? Like, what has she been exposed to? What has she been told about me for her to react to me in some type of way? So we we need some good faith. So I'm going to put in my good faith up front and be like, okay, like I recognize that, you know, you need to be safe. But when people start establishing patterns, you know, that is when it becomes a problem, you know? Seriously. Yeah. I love that example. I feel like, uh, I, and it, it really shows the duality of how narratives can present themselves, right? Yes. Like, because for you on that end, right? On one end, you're trying to be an ally. You're trying to be respectful because yes. there's a reality that for women, especially if it is late at night, if I am a woman walking down the street, I don't want any man approaching me yes yes <laughs> just off principle just statistically i would rather not you yes. know what I mean? yeah so i understand having that self-awareness and being like i don't want to make anybody uncomfortable i know it's dangerous for women out here that exists and that is a reality and then the other end of it right is there are going to be you don't know somebody else's biases their experiences and especially if it was a white woman late at night she might still be alone she might still have these valid fears of people around her Um, but if she overreacts because she is making assumptions about you as a black Mm. you're not the person in the room in this situation bring it back bring it back yes it can be very complex Mm. Uh, and i feel like again that's it's like that's how to that's that is the complexity of narratives because i think people everybody has different narratives going on in their heads and we also all work backwards and address them and react to them differently it's interesting the ways that i think we are introduced to certain narratives and we have to because i think by adult i think a lot of times we we first interact with narratives in childhood or in places where we don't even fully understand the messaging that we're receiving mm-hmm. and then in adulthood it's more uh it becomes that that's how i think implicit bias is developed right if somebody tells me that um you know let's say i as a child have never met anybody who has been arrested gone to prison and then but people tell me that you know bad people get locked up (laughs) and then become an adult and I still have never met anybody who's engaged with that system but I meet somebody for the first time who tells me they are an abolitionist and they don't think prisons should exist um 
I might be like, well, that's where all the bad people are (laughs) Mm -hmm. without still having ever interacted with that system in my own right. Right. Mm. People still can form very strong opinions just based off of narratives and like general support or believing that something is uh, widely, widely accepted when it's really just an opinion. I think one of the most scariest things I've ever experienced in my life was questioning the Bible for the first time. You Mm -hmm. know, like I went, got a master's in rhetoric and public advocacy is all about investigating and getting to the root cause and asking certain questions about things that you read. And, and, you know, I was very dedicated to my faith. And when I was given those tools about like asking certain questions and, you know, looking at intentions, I'm like, whoa, ho, 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 hold on. Like I got some questions right now that I never would have like conjured up if it weren't for that. And I was so scared to do that, you know, because I had such reverence for it, but even though it was really scary, I'm happy that it gave me the opportunity to view something I care about so much so differently because that difference allowed me to completely engage with religion and spirituality differently, you know? And because of that, I was able to think about it differently. I was able to assign my own narrative to what Christianity means, to what spirituality means. Like I began to alter my thoughts about these things. Literally. And I love this language of authoring our thoughts because that's ownership. You know what I mean? That's understanding what it means to you. And it is funny how narratives can sometimes take that ownership away and be like, this is just something Mm. that I've always heard, or this is just something that has always existed, but I don't Mm. even know why I'm thinking this. (laughs) You know, I I don't know where it comes from. I feel like, um, and it's in a, it is like that process i'm sure for you like is empowering you know what i mean like it is always in my experience it has always 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 been worth it and so rewarding when i take that time to push myself on my own thought processes and my mm-hmm. own especially i found the stronger opinion i have the more i have to push myself mm. <laughs> because Sometimes that is where some like of those narratives that influence me from the past, from things that I've heard, yeah. where I, really, I don't even have a really strong ground to stand on with right. the right. that I have that I have so strong with you, right? And it's a it's a great feeling when you get to this place of wow, I have expanded my perspective, my horizons, and now I fully understand how I feel and what what it means to have this opinion. I can, I can defend myself. I can represent myself as accurately as possible. Yes, that is so beautiful. And I feel like what you just did is you gave us a few different examples of how this idea of narratives and storytelling infiltrates every part of our lives. And the believe it or not, it's like that there's some theory behind that, you know, like it's called narrative paradigm theory. And basically it essentially says that we're all storytellers, you know, like it's my favorite communication theory because it's in everything. We use and rely stories and storytelling to pass down important and vital information, both culturally and for our society. Like that has always been the tactic. That is essentially what makes us social creatures too. We have to share and exchange that information. So this idea of storytelling and how it's connected to our memories and Um, all of these different facets of our lives, it makes sense because we were taught and trained to use and use information from those stories in our own lives. So 
it shouldn't be that crazy for people to kind of take a step further and think about narratives now. So narratives, mm-hmm. those are the things that came out of the exchange. When you brought up the information campaigns, that mm-hmm. is really where I feel like you're engaging, you know, the narrative really up close and personal. Because as you were saying, with the information campaigns, you really have to get educated and informed, not only on your perspective, but the other sides as well. And I feel that's a big step that even if you are advocating for something, having an idea of what the other side thinks or feels about it shows that you still have empathy, you know how they feel, and you're willing to have a much more educated dialogue about, you know, why are we having a difference? Like, what's the distance between where you are and where I'm at, and how can we get there together? And I feel once we kind of get into those spaces, that's when we can start to construct new narratives. You know, when I was telling you the the difference before with me deciding to switch sides of the street with the person on the street, you know, I could be changing a narrative in that moment by me having that experience and me, you know, me seeing it differently than I typically could have because I didn't have to consider her narrative, but I did. And because I did something new happened or it could have happened. And so that's where people really need to kind of get in there and be willing to, see what the other side has to say. That's how we're able to come up with something new because the narratives aren't meant to be, that's why they're like tabloids, you know? There's a news cycle for a reason where it's in, it's out, it's in, it's out. Like we're used to engaging with information and the news in that way as well. So it's like, you know, something happens, it's gone. Like that's also what's supposed to happen with most of these narratives that we have relied on as a staple of how we communicate and engage with each other. The narratives that have been told to us by the baby boomers, by the older generation, that stuff's not working, you know? And we're seeing the dangers of what happens when a narrative stays far past this timeline. Our politicians, you know, some of our politicians that aren't necessarily aware of what, what's going on on Twitter, you know, or asking what's a Finsta? Like, those are very scary gaps and people who control the narrative for our lives, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I feel like that's literally like the heart of it, you know, like what what is, and especially in the change, like what is narrative change? It is tapping into people's empathy. But that example of the news and how we take it in is perfect. I mean, I don't know how many times like romaine lettuce has been canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and like this idea that like uh, things just come and go is so true. But absolutely, I feel like I feel like in, in narrative work, for me at least, like when I think about when we go and we try to talk to politicians on getting this bill passed, right? And we have to convince them and they think they're representing their constituents who are not going to be in support of uh, prisoners voting. That is often the starting place in these conversations. More often than not, the most effective way to advance that conversation is by storytelling, Mm. is by connecting with somebody who is directly impacted by these systems, somebody who was formerly incarcerated, currently incarcerated, a child, spouse, relative of somebody who has experienced these systems firsthand, 
getting them to tell their stories and speak to their realities in front of somebody who is making a decision that can influence it is hands down always the most effective tool because when we can tap into people's empathies then they have no other choice but to acknowledge somebody else's lived experience and understand that the way that they are thinking and going about making decisions is limited and exclusive to that 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 opinion one of the things that I want us to walk away with awareness is narratives are not only all around us, but they inform almost every interaction in your life. They inform how you perceive every other person in your life. And what I would love people to do is not only think about when to question, when to think about those things. It forces, it, it, it's asking you to have some self-awareness of yourself. You know, the the first way to really understand what's going on around you is understanding how you are perceived and engaged in that exact same surrounding. You got to start yeah. with yourself, you know, yeah. as a subject. And it's like, it's, it's it can become a skill, you know, absolutely. Like it can be a yes. stress. Like it's, it's really for your own benefit to be able to be most open and more understanding. And you get a broader, I think, picture of the world when you can understand how other people go through it especially people who have very different lived experiences to your own yes so what happens when we become too far from someone else's lived experience like what is like the extreme i think the extreme is when you find people standing on like real like soapboxes with really strong opinions that they have no foundation or emotional investments in themselves, you know? Mm, Yeah, that's important. It can be, it can be like very sad, you know? Um, I feel like I think about people who have really strong opinions on the death penalty on, I think about a narrative that has reached its shelf life in my lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. That I've hearing is I used to hear, you know, very people, progressive, moderate people, right, uh, make statements like, well, you know, I believe, I I have no issue um, with gay people, but I just don't think they should get married, (laughs) right? Uh That was a narrative that I think was very normalized and accepted for a long time um, amongst, like, progressive uh, Americans uh, that we're realizing is incredibly... Uh, isolating right this idea that like marriage is this elite experience um so I guess I just think about uh, I guess just like does it make your job harder does you know the people not being willing to see and engage differently is it really making your job harder and why I think especially like people who and and when i think about politicians who sometimes make you know campaign statements and and uh very broad statements on how they go about their voting and making policy changes uh it can make things incredibly hard because it's almost like people would rather double down on opinions that they uh may not fun like believe morally or fundamentally um but no but find comfort in a narrative that is more widely accepted, right? Like we currently have the Speaker of our House backing our voting in prison bill, but um, <laughs> I mean, like it took, that took some convincing to a certain extent, right? And like um, many politicians who support what we're trying to do 
won't co-sign it, won't vote in favor of it because they're just like, we don't believe that enough people will will let this, will will have this much of a paradigm shift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't believe that people will actually step away from believing in punitive measures, period. Um, so it can just be a little frustrating where it's like, um, I think to some extent, there is a safety in narratives sometimes that are, that already exist. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes, even if we know that it's wrong, people will still double down in just upholding a narrative because it seems like it's too much work to denounce it and step back from it and try to learn from it. I feel one of the biggest problems that is impacting the people you're describing is we've become story sharers instead of storytellers you know we're just like oh here's a story here's a story but how often are you speaking with your own voice when are you the expert the narrative speaking about something are you just circulating what you're hearing because that's not really how this social game works you know you're telling me what someone else is saying what are you saying what do you have to say and if you are constantly oversharing someone else's story then that is going back to that question I posed before before earlier, which was intention. Are you here? You said that earlier. Like, what stake do you have in this? You know, and that's one of the ways in which we can identify where that became an issue. Go out there and talk about it if it's actually impacting you or someone else. But the the just sharing stories is just it's too much. <laughs> I, that's so real, you know. Like, and I think about the. When I think about social media and this idea that there's also so much pressure to put your opinion out there for every single thing. Come and on and talk about it. Bend it and argue it. And people are doing this without, like, you know, have you ever seen like a, like those arguments in the Facebook comments sometimes of two people and neither of them know what they're talking about? Yes. And it's like, what is this? <laughs> what am I witnessing right now? And it's, yeah, it's literally like sometimes I, it's, it is, it's hard to accept sometimes, especially within yourself to recognize that within yourself. But again, like these conversations are about accountability. It's not about shame. It's about understanding how, why do I feel the way that I feel? Why do I have the opinions that I have? And acknowledging within yourself that maybe you have some growth areas. I've had problematic opinions. I'm not ashamed to admit that. Mm-hmm. I'm a person and I'm growing. There's still things that I'm ignorant about. The things right. that I'm going to be ignorant about 20 years from now. Right. You know, um, life is about growth and it is about exposure. And to your point, I think, right, it's like not everybody is going to have uh, exposure to everything you know, from the, from the get, sometimes we have to uh, seek knowledge. Sometimes we have to expose ourselves to things that we, we have to learn more about. Um, and there is a middle with that, right? Because you don't want to befriend a black or gay person just because they're, <laughs> they're black or gay, right? You don't want to uh, objectify people or exoticize people's experiences. But if you feel like you have a learning gap right if you feel like there is somebody's lived experience out there that I should know more about which honestly most of us should it's better to be more aware than than not um 
you know, sometimes there are spaces, go to an event, read a book. There's virtual panels every day these days on all types of walks of life. Like we do have the internet at our fingertips that our resources out there, watch a blog. You know what I mean? Uh, people do put their stories out there. Like you said, and storytelling is significant. Like if you feel like you might be one of those people where you might find yourself oversharing or you might have opinions that you're not super founded in or super emotionally invested towards, uh, push yourself. Like that's a positive, you know, and encourage people around you to do that. Like, I think sometimes too, like that's why like the culture of it is so condemning um, when we should really be celebrating learning. I'm so happy you brought up this awareness of gap of knowledge that we need to be aware of in certain situations, because this is why encountering narratives and being aware of them is so important because the biggest thing I want you all to take away is narratives or this like narrative structure we're giving you, it's giving you two roles. It's giving you the role of storyteller or the narrator or, and the audience member. So you have two jobs with this. You're either listening or you're saying something. That is what this narrative construction offers us. So that is something you can bring into every conversation, every video, every blog that you're exposing yourself to. Come into it with this framework. A lot of the questions that you ask about yourself, maybe that other person has the same questions, you know, and that could give you an opportunity or a moment to see it from their point of view or at least put be, being willing to bring empathy to the yes. table up front because you can imagine how difficult it is to put together the questions or know yourself or the topic well enough to even go to the table with someone. That's scary. Having empathy, showing up and saying, all right, I get it. This is difficult. That's already a step in the right direction. And that is when we can make more meaningful and inclusive narratives about our world around us. And it makes space for us to renegotiate, to see what we need differently, what's changed, giving us those updates. And if we're not having those updates, if we're not conversing, if we're not giving ourselves an opportunity to listen and to be heard, then we really won't be able to change these narratives and really um, reflect the culture and the space that we all really want to have. It can definitely be a positive. It doesn't always have to be these oppressive ways of thinking that we have to work backwards from. But it's exactly that. It's about being self-aware and understanding why we feel the way we feel and where our opinions are stemming from, especially if there's. Yes, 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 yes. Where is that opinion coming from? Where'd you learn that? Being able to identify those little things that you just talked about, that is golden, golden. That's an exercise that people are saying, what can I do? That's it. Step number yeah. one, say it again for the children. One more time. <laughs> I want to highly recommend it. And I haven't done this explicitly, but I have done something very similar. Like I'm a, I'm a visual person. I, I got to write everything out. Like write out your, your opinions, whatever your strong opinions are, write them out. You don't got to share them with people if you don't want to. This can be just for you. This is a self-talk exercise. <laughs> But write them out and then just continue. Like I, I'm a, you know, I like to write out my stream of consciousness. Just continue to write where did that come from before that? And then ask yourself where that came from before that. And then ask yourself maybe where that came from before that. 
And there will be a wall, there will be a stopping place, there will be a parent or a commercial that presents itself from your memory 20 years ago. But there will be a starting place where something presented itself where you were first exposed to something and you will be able to understand, do I still identify with this way of thinking or was there a divergence at some point? <laughs> you, know? you ready for this? You ready for this? Now, flip it. You are encountering something that you don't like in another person. Maybe they seem prejudiced. Maybe the woman seems aggressive or manly or X, Y, and Z. Okay, where's that thought coming from? You know what I'm saying? You can also use it to understand the other person. Why are they behaving in this very um, racist, bigoted way? You need to understand them too. That's part of the problem is we're missing some information about each other. So those same questions, think about it on their side too. Start to unpack it. That's a rhetoric lesson. Y'all welcome. And start unpacking where are their intentions? What are their motivations? Where are those things coming from? We need to not only have the information from the narrative, but who said them? Why? When did they put it together? Those are things that we are not trained to be aware of with these things that we engage with every single day. You need to know who the author is because their writing style and how they communicate and their intention means everything. And if you are just sharing a story or if you're just actively engaging with someone else's uh, message around you, then you're susceptible. You know, you could be anything because you're not in control of that. Literally. And exactly. And that's, and acknowledging that is not a weakness. It is not a bad thing. Like it is just knowing that this is a, this is a human experience yeah. and that this is something that we all go through. There is no face to implicit bias. We all have areas of growth. There's always going to be something that we you're going to need to educate yourself more on or understand further and step outside of your own perspective. That's okay. It's okay to not know how everybody feels at all times, but you have to leave that door open for that empathy so that you can get some more context. I think sometimes when you are taking on the role of advocate, um, you have to be the most accepting and open you often have to be I, more accepting and open than your oppressor or the vehicles of your oppressor yes. um because that's how you engage with narrative change that's how you bring more people into the movement and into the work is you have to be open to helping people transform their thoughts and sometimes open their mind like that's part of the work so that's why I mean like narrative change shows itself in so many ways because that is the only way that the movement grows. When we make an impact and we tap into the empathy of a correctional officer, of a legislator, um, of somebody with authority, that is so significant. And sometimes that's how policies change. That's how laws change, is just literally changing the minds of certain people. Um, so it is super significant and it's something that I take very seriously, but literally on that end of the work, like you have to, you, you will have no choice, but to engage with people that feel differently to you. It's on the other end when you want to silence and you want to shut down narratives where you don't have to engage with somebody who disagrees, um, or has a different point of view from you. you I feel the helping you've, you've put the conversation in perspective you need to help people change their thoughts. You know, that's another little 
nugget of advice you can keep with you of what you could be doing within your own life. You know, if you have a platform and you have the ability to speak to someone, use these other experiences that we're describing to then go tell that story. Instead of just sharing, you can speak about a lived experience that you've had because you were present for one. That's what makes it a lived experience. The fact that you were present for what Mm -hmm. happened. So that's an opportunity for us to be strategic. If the goal now is to help change people's thoughts, if we can change people's thoughts, we can start to change the narrative. I love that you brought it back to something kind of simple, which is, hey, let's focus on giving them the right information. Let's figure out the right thing to say so they can have a different thought so they can see it differently. They can interpret um, differently, think in color, you know, and now we have a new narrative or new way of going about these situations. Yes, absolutely. But it is truly like heart work. It's truly like emotional work. Um, because there's not going to be a true narrative change without like a different emotional investment and an emotional shift. Like that is a cultural shift. Right. Well, girl, we did it. This was it. This was everything. Like, I felt like I grew a lot. I learned a lot and I'm just so grateful for you. I love what you bring to the table, boo. Uh, I'm so grateful for you. I appreciate you having me. This was great. No problem. Thank you for coming to hang out with us. And thank you all for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.